Praise the Lord, everyone. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? I wonder this morning if we truly can say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There is no place like God's house. There is no place that you'll be treated better than in God's house. What an honor to be in his presence today. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me read two verses and then we'll go to Matthew chapter 20. And I'll read a few verses from there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with him according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Matthew chapter 20, beginning verse 20. Then came to him the mother of, the, of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand, the other on thy left hand in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We be able. And he said unto them, You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. It shall be given to them of whom it is perceived of my father. When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know, that the princes of the Gentile exercise dominion over them, and they that are, are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And who shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to minister, but to minister, be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. For a few moments today, I want to talk to you about the hindrances of prayer. Lord bless you, may be seated. Before I begin today, let me say what an incredible honor it is to be here today. I do pray that something I say today won't tick you off but that it will cause you to look at your life more carefully. We live in a world today that was prophesied by Jesus. And Jesus declared that in the last day, one of the signs of the end of time, that many will be offended. 
And we live in that world today. We live in a world today where offense is rampant. It's everywhere. And people get offended so easily. I am amazed at how easy it is to offend people. But that's my world. And so I understand that. And I, I pray today I don't offend you. But if I do, I don't say I'm sorry. Because I do have something I want to deliver to you that the Lord has eaten on me with for several weeks. And I hope and pray today I can say it correctly so that you understand where we are and what God's purpose is for today. God didn't intend for us to be here today just to exist. His design and desire is not that a church would exist in 2020 and that we would be here just to fill up space and time. The word prophesies that there will be an end of time and there are signs of his return. We look for all of those that we think are obvious, what's happening in the Middle East and what's happening to the nation of Israel, and that's what we base prophecy on. But Paul had a change of mind in his later years of ministry. He began by believing the Lord was coming at any time, but towards the end of his ministry, he had changed his view, and his view was that until he that letteth is taken out of the way, he can't return. And so he went from an imminent return to the fact that there may be a period of time here before he comes back. I don't understand and know when it's going to happen, but there will be a period of time. And then he says to Timothy, I want to remind you, Timothy, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. There will be difficulties at the end of time. And he gives 10 characteristics, or actually 19 characteristics. It's going to show up at the end of time. Men shall be lovers of themselves covetous, the loving money more than anything else, boasters, proud, blasphemers, gossipers, people who spend more of their day gossiping than they do building. And they, they spend more of their time talking about what people are doing instead of helping people become better. Gossipers, blasphemers, heady, high-minded, covenant breakers. This is the end of time. But when you read that passage carefully and you look at what it says, this is not what the world will look at at the end of time, but this is what the church will look at at the end of time. When these characteristics start showing up among us, we better start recognizing that the end of time is here. This morning I was stirred to go back and dig up some information that I had come across years ago, but I had lost somewhere. And so I started looking for it, and, and I finally discovered it. And somewhere around 1910 in the city of Los Angeles, California, on a street called Azusa, as that revival began to wind down, there were prophecies that came forth and the prophecy said that within 100 
years, apostasy would come to the Pentecostal movement. That Pentecostals would start losing their identity of being Pentecostal and start becoming something else. And I really think if we're honest, we can say we've seen that happen because that's where we are today. And we're 100 years from that date. There was also a prophecy said that there in the end time and the last days, there will be an overemphasis on power instead of righteousness. We'll be more consumed with seeing demonstrations than cleaning up our own lives, than our lives matching what we say we are, that our lives become a practice of what we claim. See, I remember as a kid hearing people say, don't do as I do, do as I say. Well, I'm here to tell you today, if you can't live the lifestyle, keep your mouth shut. Don't expect people to be something that you don't demonstrate with your own life. Don't tell people what Christianity is really all about when you don't live that kind of life. There will also be an overemphasis on praise to a God they no longer pray to. There will be an overemphasis on praise instead of the God they pray to. And that's our world today. Because when I listen to modern Christian music, it's not even scriptural. And it's more about man than it is God. And it's more about man's issue than who God is. And we, we have lost that identity of who we are. It's an overemphasis according to the prophecy. There will be an overemphasis of gifts of the Spirit instead of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're more concerned about seeing what my gift is. And, and we've, we've made ministers out of everybody. So now we're all a bunch of chiefs and there's no Indians. We, we, we're all in charge of our life. And the fact is, that's not true. So the only thing that keeps me from being an evil person is having somebody I'm accountable to. And the first person I've got to be accountable to is that lady sitting right there because she's the one that I can wreck her life if my behavior messes up. The second one I'm accountable to are my children, because if I mess up, I wreck their lives. The next ones I'm accountable to are my brothers and my sister, because if I mess up, I wreck their lives. The next ones I'm accountable to are my nieces and nephews, because if I mess up, I wreck their lives. I've got to be accountable, because without accountability, I'm nothing but an evil individual. Now, my world says, I got rights, and you don't understand my needs, and we're always complaining about what we need and, and, and our problems and our issues instead of what I'm really all about. See, Jesus is only days from a cross. Days, maybe 15, 20 days at the most from hanging on a cross and his aunt shows up and she comes to Jesus with her two boys and she says to Jesus, 
I want to make sure that one of them's on your right hand and one of them's on your left hand. Are you going to make sure you remember we're family. The rest of these 10, they're not your family. These two, they're your family. And I want to make sure that they get the right positions in your kingdom. I can't imagine how frustrated Jesus must have felt at that moment. I can't comprehend how frustrated he had to be realizing that he spent three years and they still don't have a clue. He spent three years letting them know that he's going to die on a cross. He's not going to Jerusalem. He's not assuming David's throne. He is not becoming king of the Jews. He's going to die on a cross. And for three years, he has put into them and told them repeatedly, I'm going to die. I'm not, we're not having David's kingdom set back up. It's not happening. But they could not hear that because of what they had been taught as children. See, they'd been taught all their lives that the Messiah would come to reestablish David's kingdom. So they couldn't hear his words for what they had been taught as kids. And so here he is at the end of his ministry. Now, I, I can't imagine why Jesus didn't go off on them. Why Jesus didn't say, you have absolutely no idea what you're asking for. But he didn't. He was very gentle. He said, I, I just have one question. And my question I have to you today is, are you willing to drink the cup? And that probably should be the title of my sermon. Are you willing to drink the cup? The cup of bitterness. The cup's going to change your life. Are you willing to drink the cup I'm going to drink of? And they both said, yes, we will. And they did drink the cup. James dies as a martyr. He's the first one to die for the name of Jesus Christ. The first because he drank the cup. He finally realized. He didn't realize at that moment what caused him to realize what this was all about was the day of Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost came about, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave. On the day of Pentecost, they understood what the cup was about. And they were willing to drink the cup because it finally dawned on them that if you're going to ever get anywhere in God's kingdom, it's not about who's in charge. It's about who I become a servant to. It's not about me being right hand or left hand or having this position. It's what I'm willing to submit my life to and I'm willing to say, okay, this is what I, I will drink the cup. Now, John didn't die a martyr's death, but John was boiled in oil. John 
was forced to live the life of persecution for almost 100 years before his death. So there was a cup. See, Jesus said, if any man's going to follow me, there's one requirement of following me. He must first deny himself. And once he gets self-control, the next thing he's going to have to do is take up his cross and follow me. If I'm going to become anything in God's kingdom, then I'm going to pick a cross up and I'm going to be caring. I'm going to first have to get me out of the way and realize that my biggest enemy is not anybody around me. It's not my neighbor. It's not my friends. It's not my family. My enemy is me. And if I can't get me out of the way, then I can never assume a cross on my life. If you're going to live for God, you can't live for God expecting treasures. You will never get a crown without first a cross. It requires the cross first before the crown shows up. We want the crown first. We want the glory first. We want to see the manifestation first. But we're not willing for the cross to show up. And as a result, see, people who are willing to serve are never offended. Only people who want leadership are offended. Now, do I need to say that again? People who are willing to serve never want position. People, if I want to see something happen in my life, then I've got to be willing to pick up a cross. You see, the most horrible thing I can think of in my mind today is the fact I'm going to stand at a judgment seat with a Molly and Bill Thompson standing beside me. Two people in their early 20s would be sent from England to Columbia with no support, zero. They had no offerings. You see, they first had to prove it at home. And at home in England uh, under Barnhill, if I remember correctly, they were sent out to go to villages and cities and communities and preach the gospel. When they returned, you know what they checked out? Where their their, their socks had holes in them. They weren't allowed to come back with worn out socks. Why? Because they had to trust God enough not to ask for one offering, but people recognize their relationship with God and desire to help them without them ever asking one thing. Because they did that 
and went from village to village preaching the gospel. They didn't even have the full gospel at the time. But they went from village to village preaching the gospel in the nation of England. Finally, the Lord directs them to South America. In the early 20s and 30s, they get on a boat and sail South America, wind up in a country they can't speak the English, the, the language, and no support. And they start preaching the gospel. They meet a family called Morley's who were from Canada that had the apostolic message. And they start talking to the Thompsons about the apostolic message. And in Colombia, they're converted to becoming apostolic. And they're baptized in Jesus' name. And they spent their life on a missions field. They, they had no support while they were there. They went there without any money at all. See, I, I'm convinced today we couldn't even back out of the driveway doing those kind of things. So we want our prayers to be answered, but you will never get your prayers answered till you take up your cross. And if you want God to move in your life, the only way it's going to happen for you to see mighty miracles and things take place is when you're willing to say, okay, Jesus, I don't care where you take me, where you lead me, I'll follow. I will take up my cross. I will follow you. I will be willing to do whatever you ask. And I will have to tell you from personal experiences, there will be days there's no food in the pantry. There will be days when there are bills you have no money to pay for. But when you walk by faith because you're a servant of the king of kings, in the end result, he'll take you places that you never anticipated going in your life. See, I, I'm going to stand in judgment with a Caleb Tan who would leave his nation and go to the country of China and spend his life there with no support. Start a daycare there so that they can teach the English language because him and his wife are from Malaysia or from, from Singapore and they both speak English and, and, and they can train children and, and, and suffer persecution like we don't even imagine. See, none of you today had to get here at a specific time because you can't all come together. They're assigned slots to come to church. A certain number comes at, at 9, another number at 9.15, another at 9.30, another at 9.45. And when they all finally get there, with the threat of death, they raise their hands. They worship. And they know who they are worshiping. They're not worshiping what they don't know about. They spend enough time with Jesus because he's all they've got. And they spend enough time in his presence that they are touched by his presence. And when they walk in, you, you, don't, have to, you don't have to stimulate anything instantly. I will ask 
Caleb one day, Caleb, what's going to get you in trouble? What will cause the authorities to show up? He said, well, if we get too loud and the neighbors turn us in, they're going to come and we'll all get arrested. And and they start worshiping. And they got loud. They were louder than you were today. They got louder and louder and louder. And it didn't last five minutes. It didn't last 10 minutes. It lasted an hour and a half. I remember standing in a village in northwest Burma and hearing 400 plus preachers and their wives sing in the Holy Ghost in unison and dance in his presence. You could tell the instant they all started speaking in tongues and singing in a language that they had never learned and the power of God. And you couldn't stop them. The front of the church was polished. I couldn't understand why this floor is shiny and that's milky until I saw them take their shoes off and they all got up the front. They keep the front polished from worship and you got to tell them to quit. If we really are interested in the revival we say we're interested in, then there's a cross that's going to come with that revival. And that cross is going to cause you to to put some things aside. And some of you are going to have to give up Facebook because it has become your addiction. Your whole life is based on it. My wife gave me a little clip the other day, and you need to to pay attention to it carefully. And it said, Facebook never caused the lame to walk, but it has caused the dumb to talk. See, my watch tells me every week how much time I've spent with screen time. It's not FaceTime because I don't have it. I don't even know how to find it, and I'm not going to. My pastor wouldn't learn how to operate a computer, and I often wondered why, but I wish at this point in my life I'd never learned how to operate one because he didn't get contaminated by all the junk that's on it. See, there are crosses to take. You want to get close to Jesus, then you're going to have to, you're going to, have to get away from the world. And you're going to have to abandon what the world wants you to see or do. And you've got to make a decision that I'm willing to drink of the cup. And it doesn't matter what might happen, where I might have to go. Well, it doesn't matter that what's going to take place. I don't care because I know that wherever I am, he's going to be there. And whatever happens, he's going to be in the middle of it if I'm willing to follow him. And if I'm willing to become a servant and serve, you know what the number one characteristic of a servant is? He don't get to decide what his day is. He don't get up in the morning and say, you know what, I feel like going fishing today. 
he got up in the morning and said, Master, what do you need done today? Oh, I'm irritating some of you. Your faces say a whole lot of stuff, okay? Maybe I don't need to read them. <laughs> See, we're willing to give lip service to what we say we really are instead of being sold out to what we are. So we, we, we like the spillover, but we don't like the sacrifice it took to get here. See, I've never had rotten tomatoes thrown at me while I preached. I've never had them beat me up for preaching, but J.T. Pugh has. C.P. Kilgore has. I've never suffered the consequences of those things that happened because we live in a world today that we're so affluent that we really don't have need of Jesus because we can do everything ourselves. And when we go to foreign countries and we see incredible miracles there, the reason it happens there is they don't have nothing else but Jesus. We got everything we need. So we don't need him in our lives. But I'm here to tell you today, if you want him there, all you got to do is act like it. If you really want Jesus to be part of your life, he's not somewhere off. You don't have to clap to get his attention. All you got to do is call his name and Jesus in. Instantly, he's going to try to find you. You don't find him. He's going to find out where you're located and he's going to come to you. You don't have to look for him because his desire is to be with you and his desire is for us to reach the world that we live in today. And if we expect to see revival at the end of time, there will be a price to be paid. So the decision about the price that's going to be paid is am I willing to pay the price? Now one of the most beautiful illustrations of of that story of, of, of an aunt and two sons is that that even though they were asking things that the other 10 got irritated by and they wanted special recognition, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to cancel you because you're worthless. You will not fit in my kingdom. So when you keep beating yourself up and saying all these horrible things about yourself and thinking you're worthless, and God can't use you, that's a lie. Because all he's looking for is the day you recognize the best way to get somewhere in Jesus is to figure out how to serve people. The word minister is always about servanthood. Paul didn't say he was a servant. He called himself a love slave, a doulos of Jesus Christ. He paid my debt and now I love him so much. I paid off what I owe him, but I just don't want to leave anymore because the best place to live is it house is at his house. And, and so I, I, I lay my head on an anvil. I let him take a awl and a hammer and drive a hole in my ear so that everybody that sees me knows I'm a love slave of Jesus Christ. I'm not looking to see where he's going to elevate me to or what position I get next. I'm going to irritate you. God is not impressed by your talent. 
He's made things that have more talent than you do. God is impressed by your servanthood. And when you pick up a towel and you choose to be a servant, we want to see revival today. It starts in my home. It starts in my home. Honey, come here. It doesn't start in my house. It starts right here. It starts with my relationship with her. See, I read your scripture that the only reason your prayers don't get answered is this one right here. I'm her servant. I'm going to irritate you, man. I'm her servant. Whatever she asks me to do, I sometimes get irritated by it. But I still try to do it. Why? Because I got to be submitted here. If you expect revival in this building and in this city, it's going to start at your house too. And you're going to have to become servant to the people who are around you. See, we want everybody to serve us and be served. I got to address something today before I'm through. And I hope I can do it without offending you. Sarah called Abraham... Lord, and, and that, that phrase, why did she say that? Why'd she call him Lord? Why did Sarah see Abraham as Lord? But the word is not in reference to God. Probably a better translation today would be Sir. She called him Sir. Now, why would Sarah call Abraham sir? Was it Jewish tradition that women called their husband sir? No. Matter of fact, you don't know where women's lib came from? It didn't come from Gentiles. Feinstein, Steinem, or both Jews. He, he, it wasn't putting her in a place of servitude. It spoke of what happened in their relationship. See, Abraham, father of the faithful, came to a point in his life where God 
wanted him to do something, and he wasn't willing to quite do it. Oh, he left where he was supposed to go, and he started the path of getting there. But something transpired in the way. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure what happened, but he got his eyes on the wrong place. And it shows up in the fact that when he got to the promised land, instead of discovering what the house of God was, he built his first altar between Hai and the house of God. Hai is the heap of ruins. So he, he gets to a mountain with Bethel on one side, Hai on the other, and he builds an altar where he can see the house of God and he can see the heap of ruin. He, he was living on the edge and living on the edge caused him to listen to rumors about things and it caused him to start looking and the scripture says he continued further to the south. He was already headed to the south and it took him to Egypt. And in Egypt, he couldn't build an altar because there was no place. So in Egypt, instead of building an altar, he gets terrified of the king and makes his wife lie and say, you're my, wife, my, my sister instead of my wife. And as a result of that issue, Sarah and Abraham were no longer husband and wife. They were sir and ma'am. Go read it. It's there. Read the details. Isaac took Rebekah to his mother Sarah's tent. She became his wife. He was comforted after his mother's death. She'd been dead three years. Somebody had been taking that tent down for three years and putting that tent back up because he didn't marry until he was 40. He married a mother, not a wife. He married a clone of mama because she's the daughter of mama's brother. Now we got chaos starts happening on a regular basis. Why? Because Sarah and Abraham had family issues. If you want to see revival in this church, you better get the family issues cleared up quickly or there won't be any kind of revival. Men, don't treat your wife like a servant. You can serve her, but don't make her your servant. If she submits to be your servant, that's her choice. But you don't make, she's not your slave. She's not your old woman. So as a result, I, I could tell you thousands of stories today and we don't have time. And I really don't want to think about a bunch of them. But I can tell you stories of what happens when husbands and wives don't connect at home. They invade the church and take the church over and the first place they show up is in prayer. And prayer becomes their substitute for their relationship. And by definition, that's called codependency. 
God don't need you addicted to him. He don't want to be your substitute. He doesn't need to be a replacement for some other relationship. What he needs is for you and I to decide, you know what, we're going we're gonna to act like Jesus at home. And every time she says something I don't like, I'm going to picture Jesus instead of her. So I'm going to be real careful what I say to her because if I can see her as Jesus, I will not say the things that my flesh wants to say. But if I can't see her as Jesus, then I'll say bad things to her and hurt her. And the instant I do, my prayers will no longer be answered. Husbands, live with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel that your prayers be not hindered. The only thing stopping prayer on this side of the cross is not Satan. Jesus conquered him at the cross. So when I take up my cross and I start following him, he don't want to follow a cross. I can promise you that. He don't want nothing to do with your cross because he's reminded that he got conquered at the cross. That may be why God wants us to carry one all the time is to keep reminding the devil, I conquered you at the cross and you are forever conquered. You're not going to terrify nobody else. You're not going to wreck nobody else's life. You're not going to cause any more chaos. I conquered you at the cross. So you and I today, if I'll take up my cross, if I'm willing to drink the cup, then we'll start seeing things happen we've never seen happen before. And it's not because I'm looking for a sign. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. Show us a sign. No, I'm not looking for sign. Signs are not in front. Signs follow them that believe. Signs follow them that believe. When I start following him, I don't have to look for them because they're going to be all the way behind me. And every place I go, those signs are going to show up. Why? Because I chose to take up my cross. And I chose to follow him. So the question today is, are you willing to drink the cup? Please stand on through. Gracious Father, I know that we stand in the last days. I understand that emphatically today, Jesus. All of those characteristics that you warned us about, selfishness, loving pleasure, they're here. They're among us. We're more concerned about the next good time, what we can do instead of our next encounter with you. So Jesus, the end of time is here. We are speaking about an awakening. So Jesus, would you awaken us today? Has prayer become our substitute instead of our relationship? Have we become more interested in the words and the music and the melody instead of the God that we pray to? Have we become more consumed with the need for power instead of servanthood? So Jesus, I pray today that we'd make a conscious effort today to make a decision about if I'm going to follow you or I'm going to follow me. Because when I know you, 
And I don't glorify you and I don't make you the center of my life. Your word says my thoughts become vain. My imaginations are vain. And I start worshiping the creature more than the creator. And when I do, you just take your hands off me. And I don't get to choose my delusion. You choose it for me. So Jesus, I don't want to be deceived today. I don't want to walk down a road of deception. Jesus, if there's any deceitful way in me, please reveal it. I can't afford to be lost, Jesus. Reveal in me all of those flaws that are there so I can remove them today, Jesus. Let me take up my cross and follow you, Jesus. You should never be asked whether or not you want to encounter with Jesus Christ. If you're hungry for it, then every opportunity you get to find one, you ought to seek it. He's here today. You can leave the way you came, or you can go home a different path today. You can leave blind, or you can leave seeing. You can leave lame. Or you leave whole. He's here. He's not going to force it on you. If you desire it, he's just waiting for somebody to make a move. The Lord gave me a prophecy several years ago. I woke up from sleep. The prophecy the Lord gave me was, My people are more in awe of themselves than in awe of me. Who is my awe to? My talents, my abilities, or him? So he's here. What you do with today is your decision. You want to see the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see? Don't look for them. Let them follow you. That requires a cross. I open these altars. He's here.